and welcome to our latest Time of the Month podcast. I'm Linda and I have my colleague, my friend, not just a colleague, but my sister. I was going to say sister in arms, but I don't believe in violence like that. So even violent language is not good. But my dear sister, Laura, Laura, my sister in the Lord. Welcome, dear. How are you? Oh, hello. Yes, and hello to everyone who's um, listening. I, do you know, Linda, um, I'm, I'm feeling a wee bit out of sorts today. Um, like we're recording this the day after um, Her Majesty the Queen died. And I'm feeling quite um, out of sorts today. Yeah, it's a feeling of discombobulation, isn't it? This, this woman who's been like a rock for all these years, 70 odd years, and she's gone. But oh, I cried yesterday for the ages. Sister looked at me as if it was not right in the head. But I did. It just moved me so much because I love her and I, I loved how she was able to talk about her life in Christ. And yes. although I'm really sad, and I'm sad mostly for her family and mostly for the impact that her solidity and her beauty, and I mean beauty in the true sense of the word, how, how that has impacted people. I'm sad that we're going to lose all that. I, I just am happy that she's gone home. You know, that yeah. photograph or that picture we saw of her and Liz Trust the other day in Balmoral, that smile, it almost swallowed her wee face up. And she looked frail, but she uh-huh. looked so happy. And I just think she's gone home. She has gone home. God bless her. And she'll be welcomed home. And I, I thank God for her and the impact and influence she's had. Yes, I, and that's it. She's uh, She served this country and our Lord so well. You know, she was a faithful servant to both. And and that's it. She's she's getting her rest now. Yeah. That's it. She's getting her rest now. And uh, I, it's just, it's a, it's transition. You know, the ending, of some, uh, the ending is always difficult. And then this transition, you know, into something new. And, and I was thinking like last night, you know, I was thinking, actually, see, whenever they look back, you know, people in the future look back. I do actually think though she'll be probably remembered as one of the the greatest monarchs yeah. um, that this country's um, ever had. Yeah. Um, I think because of her faithfulness, yeah, you know, and yeah. and her service, um, and and that's it. It does seem like now we're we're entering. I think after so much shaking as well, you know, within within the world, you know, within the country over the past, you know, few years. And this, like, shaking is still continuing. It's it's kind of taking us into a new phase and a new, a new, a new era. And I think it's really, sorry, I think it's really important that we, we hold our new king, Charles III, in prayer because he's going to need all the love and support he can get. And people will take pot shots at him. It's, it's what we do in this country. Um, we, we, you know, so we need to hold him up and ask God to, to strengthen him and bless him. But, but Her Majesty the Queen, she's a classic example of the women we talk about here on oh, our yes. the Month podcasts. I mean, her strength, you know, it's just her, her, her willingness to stand up and do the right thing, the hard thing often. Um, and the fact that she was sustained by grace and faith through all the difficulties that she encountered, not just as a country, but in her own personal life. It can't have been easy with her children and the, the times that they had. And I think it's a good example for us 
older people in the church, I don't have any children, you do, and you have, you know, other people who have children, sometimes we, we feel it's hard. Here's, here's what I'm involved in. And some people think, oh, I'm a pillar in the church. My child has shamed me because of their behavior. But you know what? Move on. Get past that. Aye. She showed love. She may have been feeling embarrassed or a bit ashamed, but that's not how she responded to her children. She responded from love and modeled for us. Yes. The way God is. God is. Yes. Yeah, I, I have this thing that we're obsessed with sin and God isn't, you know, and we beat ourselves up and, and we end up having to have these conversations with ourselves about, oh, we're in a battle, we're in a battle. God help us. I don't remember Jesus talking about battles. But, you know, it's all about grace and she modeled for us grace. Yeah. And, and that's and that's a good good example of who God is, I think, and how God is, is grace and love. And when it comes to judgment, we're all going to be judged. But you know what? I'm glad God's judging and not me because there's nothing miserly about God's love and God's grace. Oh, I feel a wee sermon coming on there, so I better stop. <laughs> so anyway, we're talking about two wonderful, strong women, Shifra and Pua. Yes. I to tell us the story <clears throat> as it's written. Well, don't tell us word for word in Exodus chapter. <laughs> friends, if you want to read the story, you read Exodus 1 and 2, and that'll set you up for the podcast. So away you go, Miss Laura. Yes, so at this time, this was whenever Pharaoh had um, ordered um, all the the male Hebrew babies to be killed um, because, you know, the the Hebrews were um, in in Egypt. They were multiplying um, and um, he was was not happy with us. Neither he was. He didn't like how they were how they were growing in number. Um, and so he ordered for all the male um, babies that were going to be born to be killed. And uh, Shifra and Pua, they were two midwives and they actually um, they actually refused um, to do this. And whenever they got um, called in by Pharaoh, um, he's a... Uh, He's like, oh well, you know, why are you still letting these babies um live? Um, you know, what's going on here? I told you. <laughs> uh, they said that it was because um the the Hebrew women's labor was very um short, you know, because they were lively and vigorous women, and so their babies were born, you know, much quicker than Egyptian women's babies. Um, and so by the time that they had arrived. Uh, the babies were already born, so there was nothing that they could do about that. So these women, for a short time, actually were able to stop, well, stop a genocide, you know, and actually, well, it took real courage for these women to actually put God above Pharaoh. And so, um, but then later... um, as we know, um, he just decided that, well, um, Egyptians would be doing it and they'd be killing the babies. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so these women, and these women were blessed by God, uh, by God for, um, for doing this, for, for saving these babies' lives. Great. So that's, that's a wee presse, if you like, of the story about Shipfra and Pua. So, Laura, anything jump out at you about this story? 
Oh, well, I think the main thing for me is, is the sheer courage mm-hmm. of these women. And that they, they knew that it would go against God. It would go against their people as well, but mostly it would go against God. And that they they couldn't go against God. So they were risking they were risking their own lives to, yes. to do this. It's it's fascinating to me. I think it's probably, if not the earliest, one of the earliest acts of civil disobedience. Yes. When you think about it. And, uh-huh. and there's no evidence in the text to say that these women were even Hebrews themselves. Um, although their names are more Semitic than Egyptian. Yes. That whether they're Egyptian or Hebrew, they understood who God was and who Pharaoh was. And this profound courage that was needed to stand up and, and say no to the man who held their lives in his hand. Um, I love that they, they stood up and they said, you know, they told a lie. The women, uh, the Hebrew women are more vigorous and, <laughs> and their neighbors are delivered. They do it quickly. In other words, they're, yes. they're too fast for us. Aye. It's an ethical question there. Um, reminds me of Bonhoeffer and how he was part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. <clears throat> and we're told, thou shalt not kill in, in the, the Ten Commandments. So. Civil disobedience. I was wondering about this and wondering what in this world today, what in this country today, am I willing to stand up for and be civilly disobedient around? This whole campaign around not paying your bill for energy. I was yes. an Anglican vicar, you know, being part of that. And I thought, uh-huh. oh, Linda, would you do that? And right away I thought, well, if you get a criminal record, then you can't fly to America and visit your pals or you can't whatever. So it's a whole big <clears throat> question, Laura. What do you think? I well, do you know, thinking about that, actually, my dad, me and my dad had had a conversation last week, and my dad's like, I will, uh, me and your mum are just, we're just not going to pay the bill, neither we are. And I'm like, oh, and actually, do you know something? It takes a lot for my dad to get himself kind of hit up about things, right? Um, and it, it also takes a lot for my dad to to feel that he wants to take a stand against things because throughout my life, like, I'm the one that'll be like, oh, this is what we should be doing. Oh, this is what we should be doing. And and my dad has never, ever actually, um, he's like, just went about, he went about his business, done what he's had to do. And this is actually the first time I've heard him say um, this. And uh, and I thought, and because and, he's really, con- he's so concerned about what's happening to people and what's, you know, what, like, and what's going to happen to, like, you know, the elderly and families. And he's just, he, he's, I've never seen it before, Linda. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so to hear him saying that, and it really challenged me. And I thought, well, and, and I thought, well, maybe it's because he's retired now. You know, he feels that, well, you know, I've got nothing to lose. Yeah. Um, but it's and sometimes actually that can be the case when you know that maybe your 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 income is the one that's providing for a family. Yes. Um, you can't lose your job. You know, you can't if your children are depending on you. Your your wife's depending on maybe elderly parents are depending on you. When people are depending on you, it is really difficult to be able to risk 
possibly losing your job, especially if you've got a responsible, you know, professional job where a criminal record is, you know, actually that's it, you know. I think it's easy for, for us to sit here and um, do what ifs or maybes or what would I do? What you, until uh-huh. you're faced with it, it's very difficult. Um, but here were two women who had nothing and they were nothing and they were nobodies um, in the sense of the fact that they were women. Yeah. In that ancient culture, they were considered possessions. But uh-huh. some, some evidence to suggest that they were part of the court of Pharaoh and part of the, his harem. And so their responsibility was considered because as midwives in that culture, you held a position of power and authority, even though you were still a woman within that culture of women. You held, held, um, if you were an overseer in his harem, then you held honor and you held authority. Um, And and I just think if if I'm ever faced with um, having to be disobedient, I hope for the sake of the kingdom, I would do that. I had a little experience of it when I was campaigning against the government for the the, the family, the Pakistani family. Yeah. Um, and I I have to put my hand in my heart and say it scared me. Um, and I, I was a bit anxious. But, you know, when God calls you to do something, like he called Shifra and Pua, God uh-huh. equips you, doesn't he? God gives you the courage that you need. And so I think that when, when push comes to shove, I hope that we'll all be able to do what, what God asks us to do and not hide behind Oh, it's my job, or oh, oh it's I'm, I'm providing for this one and that one. This was this is where the kingdom of God comes in, where we're supposed to support one another and love one another. Um, yeah. Very, very difficult. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's that's it. It's um, yeah, it is. It's very difficult, and but it's I think we've seen as well in history, you know, and actually in our own time, whenever people whenever people don't, you know, whenever people don't make that stand and how quickly things can escalate. And then actually what is abhorrent and, you know, really terrible actually becomes normality and people then also accept it. Um, It's not saying, isn't it? Um, For evil to flourish, it just takes good men and good women to do uh nothing. And and I think financially... That's that is what I think finance is what stops people, I think, very often from um taking a stand. Yeah. Um, you know, I watched a program not that long ago actually about um Germany in the Second World War. Mm. Um and it distressed me deeply because people were admitting that they did know what was happening. They knew, you know, the, pe- the people that lived nearby the camps, they knew what was happening. They would they would talk about it. You know, they could smell the smells and but people were people were employed. And yes. then, then the people that did speak out, they disappeared. Yeah. You know, and it's uh, it does it take, and so that's you know, just the courage of these women, you know. I just I cannot go over it, and it's such an example. Um, and also you want well, you know that the Lord, the Lord's the one that's actually protected them, you know. Yeah. You know? Well, it's interesting because um I was reading that and the the phrase that they feared God can also mean obey God's ethical imperatives. Yes, I read that myself. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and I, I think I, I mean I wish I would I my Hebrew is rubbish, it's almost non-existent. But I wish that I could 
really read that and and fully glimpse it and and embrace it because throughout the whole of it, the Hebrew Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, I think it would illuminate so much more for us. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. But uh-huh. God's imperatives, and it's that word imperative. We don't really have a choice, and that's. I mean, looking at the, the words of the prophets, um, it's the imperatives that they're saying. This is who God is, and if you're hanging your hat on, on God's peg, then here are the imperatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I I'm with you. It's it's easy for me to sit here and pontificate, mm-hmm. and I hope that if I was ever called to stand up, that I would stand up. Mm-hmm. See what I, this is why. See because the women understood. What the what that what the words meant. Mm-hmm. That's why I think they were Hebrews. You know, that's why I think they were. Um, and they may have been employed as well. You know, to look after. Um, you know, the women and Pharaoh's harem as well. Yeah. But um, that's why I think, and and it's only just my my kind of sense. The fact that they knew what that what it meant. Yeah. Um, and why they placed so much importance on that. You think well culturally and spiritually you know if they've got that deep understanding that must be because you know they are they, that that's because they're part of that um, you may, may be wrong i'm sorry i've been the devil's advocate again. <laughs> i love that but then this is we thinking and like discussing you're, it ourselves you're you're suggesting that it may be that those outside of the hebrew sphere or indeed the kingdom of god can't possibly understand anything about God. And that to me reduces who God is. Because God, God, um, I think when we label God, we restrict God. And God is either God of all or, uh-huh. or, or not. So even people that we would disagree with fundamentally and theologic, theologically and um, and religiously, like, can God not, I don't like the word use because it feels like we're, we're rather than human beings made I were pawns but I'll use the word use with the, the, the caveat that I don't mean use like a pawn but I believe God will use anyone regardless of the labels they, they attach to themselves and to others that are, that are attached to them God will use anyone to proclaim God's glory and to advance God's um, grace, mercy, hope, love kingdom in the world uh-huh. so, so God I mean, I remember reading when I was a teenager about people in, in Russia when it was illegal to have a faith, but this this couple couldn't get past the fact that they had opposable thumbs and they started to pray to the God who made thumbs. And to me, that's that's God. Yes. God. Uh-huh. I mean, there are people who would never claim to follow Jesus, but they worship God more honestly than I ever will be able to simply because of the way they take care of their garden yeah acknowledge the creator in that way uh-huh. I'm, not, I'm not saying that's for everybody but what i'm saying is let's let's us not reduce god mm-hmm. to specific religious groups and religious tales and and religious standards because uh-huh. god, is god is god and far bigger than we'll ever ever comprehend but we get a wee glimpse that's all we need if we've got more uh-huh. than any glimpse, uh-huh. glimpse if we're wearing a hug me jacket and locking us up Aye. and that way that like because actually i do um i do like like the idea actually that um even if these women weren't hebrews that they are being influenced yes you know they've yes. been influenced by 
that their work with the Hebrew women. Yes. And actually, these these women are like these are pass, you know, they're passing between like different cultures yeah. and they're taking things backwards and forwards just through that role of being midwives. Okay. And actually, you don't know the 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 midwives even might have had. You know, there's a reason as well why I know it's like you know God would have been like intervening in Pharaoh's daughter whenever she had um, you know taken Moses, you know, um, you know saved him. Um, but actually, maybe it's because it is through women often that understanding and peace and reconciliation comes. So perhaps you know through these midwives. They are, you know, taking stories backwards, you know, and forwards between the groups. You know, and I think about my time in um, Israel uh, recently and uh, going to um, uh, Sindiana, you know, where they make the, the olive oil. And, um, you know, and it's women working together, you know, to, to bring, you know, about peace and reconciliation, to, to raise each other up, to give each other skills and, you know, just to try and find a way forward in a land that's so disputed. And, um, you know, and I think as well about, you know, my own experience, you know, with multi-faith and being in, like, groups of multi-faith women to to get an understanding of each other. And so, yeah, you know, it's just, uh, oh, now, now you see, this is why I just love this podcast and I love these discussions because, you know, it's just a wee spark, you know, it kind of takes you off on a wee different tangent. Yeah. But I love that idea of, like, just these women being, like, a conduit as well between yeah. groups and learning for each other. I, I, I think, too, what, what I, I value as well is the vulnerability of the women who are in labour. I mean, you can't get any more vulnerable than that, can you, Lamb, with no. crude your legs open, waiting to be delivered of your, your newborn? And there's something about being willing to be vulnerable in order to build relationships and break down barriers. Yeah. You're you're in the hands, literally, of these women, these midwives, whether they're part of your culture, your tradition, your faith or not, they are birthing. They're bringing this child to, to the, into the world. They're uh-huh. cutting the cord and they're cleaning the, the airways and washing the baby and putting the baby on the mother's heart. And, yeah. and there's something about... There's a power dynamic going on there. Yes. And I think that often um, we we need to be willing to embrace vulnerability in order to be able to share the gifts of others, but also to be able to say, look, I'm in your hands and I trust you. And by the way, yeah. we have a relationship now. And, yeah. and did you know? So I, I think that there's, there's I mean, it's the upside downness of God's kingdom, isn't it? There's this uh-huh. power, this strength in our vulnerability, which is, I ask youngsters often, when was Christ most vulnerable, most powerful? And they say when he was raised from the dead. They know it's when he was on the cross because there he could have called on the host of angels to rescue him, but he stayed on the cross. It wasn't the nails that kept him there. It was this profound love and love is vulnerable. So I think there's something about the strength of these women Shifra and Pua, something about them being willing to take the risk of standing up and saying no to Pharaoh, knowing that in their vulnerability, they could be executed. And who knows if they had a husband, if they had their children, what would they yeah. do? Who would provide for their, 
family. Who, who knows if they were in that harem on their own? Um, who knows only they and God and the people around them at the time? But I think that their willingness to be vulnerable and trust their vulnerability as a gift from God and trust that God has invited them to stand up. And, uh-huh. and, and that, that willingness as well to, to, to protect that secret trust and yes. that, yes. you know, between them and the women that they're helping yes. you know, to birth their children, you know, that's because that is a, that's a sacred duty, you know, it's oh, a sacred and, and so that, that, you know, it's like they're, they're protecting life and mm. it's, um, yeah, and and it's just that it's not just their own vulnerability, but it's the, they're protecting the vulnerability of these wee babies and the vulnerability of the the women that they're helping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's this is a great story. I love it. And these women, most folk wouldn't know who they are. Let's be honest, Shifra and Pua. I know that's that. it's just like they go by like two names and yeah, yeah. But the great big names, you know. Of, Sarah and Rachel and Miriam and actually there's some some idea that Miriam was poor. Some of the Jewish writers think that, but oh, you don't know. She seems awful young because the way well, maybe it's just the way I've been taught. She was a wee girl by the River yeah. Nile, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that these two women, whoever they are, stand among the great. They and we stand on their shoulders, you know. Um, and I think they're wonderful examples for us. And and I think we're talking a bit about their vulnerability and that's where their power is. I'm reminded of, of just to move on of today and what's going on with the Uyghur women um, oh, yes. in China uh-huh. and, and the forced abortions um, the oppression and repression of women, the, the slaughter of, of their husbands and their, their other family members, the, yeah. you know, the, the internment camps where they're being brought to be re-educated and, yes. What would we think of all this, the Uyghur story, of the, especially the women there? Uh-huh. Well, this is um, this is something that's distressed me for a number of years, actually. And it distresses me because we know it's happening, and we do know it's happening. Mm. Um, and I, I feel that uh, nothing is being done. There is people speaking out. But I do not think that we are reacting in the way that we should be um, to help. Um, to help Can you give me an example of how you think we could be reacting? <clears throat> well, I think we could actually be putting pressure um, upon the, the Chinese government to actually stop this. Um, I think that's the first thing. We actually should be um, speaking out. Now, we're... <sighs> We, ha- we we took action to help the people of Ukraine, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and we have, as, as, a, as a nation, we have, a, you know, made our, made our views clear on how unacceptable that invasion was and we're helping the Ukrainian people. But at the same time, we are letting a genocide happen to a group of people you know because that is what's happening whenever people are forcibly being sterilized 
And, uh, you know, so when women are being forcibly sterilised or their children being aborted or, and the, the men are being killed and disappeared, you know, that is a genocide. Totally. Um, and so, and, you know, you're like, where are the, you know, where are the people to, to actually do something? Who have the power? Who has the power to actually put pressure on to stop? Yeah, and I often wonder, what's the criteria? Yes, for the, for the for the government, but also for our church, what is our criteria for speaking out? Um, you know, I think we're a chocolate teapot. I think the Church of Scotland is a chocolate teapot, and we're so worried about oh, we don't want to offend, we don't want to upset. Oh, we've got people in the country we can't hurt them. You know what? Get them out of the country and stop. Yeah. Just yeah. Stop. I mean, Jesus said to the disciples after Nazareth rejected him, when he sent them out in their tours around the region, said, don't go to Nazareth because they're not ready. And it may be that we need to pull our people out of China mm-hmm. and say, well, they're not ready. We'll go back on another occasion. And that means putting our money where our mouth is politically. Yes. But I'm all talk, I know that. I, I just hope that I can do something if I'm given the opportunity. Yeah. Um, I know we can't do everything all the time, but our denomination has a, a, a very rich history of standing up and speaking out. Well, uh-huh. stop being chocolate teapots about the Uyghurs. Uh-huh. And, and actually, even if we feel that we don't have power, we've got voices, you yeah. know, and, and the church has got a platform. You know, the church is respected and listened to. And you know, the, there's, you know there's facts coming out. Also, yeah. you know, if we feel that we don't, you know, we don't have a lot of power, well, all we have to be doing is, is highlighting regularly what is happening. You know, what is actually happening? And then, like, we, we do pull our people out. And it's not just because we're um, uh, indebted to our country that we um, let things go. I was, I think I've said this before in Sanctuary First, but I'm going to say it again. I was mentally disturbed when I was working for the... the leave to remain to be granted to this Pakistani family, this beautiful uh-huh. Christian family. And I was disturbed that the church, the Church of Scotland membership did not support in numbers. And all it would have taken is for every member of the Church of Scotland to send their name to a petition uh-huh. to get us to be able to stand in front of Parliament. We got up to 90 odd thousand and, and the majority of those people were not Church of Scotland. There were people who don't even claim to follow Jesus and his ethics and his justice demands. And I think that we as a church think that we're so so engaged in the kingdom that we think that it's all about spiritual life. And it's not. That's only, that's that's a big, that's half of it. Because it's worthless. It's not half of it. I'm wrong to say that. We are all about the spirit. Mm -hmm. But if the spirit in us and our spirituality is not expressed and articulated and making a difference in everyday lives of people, be that through food banks, be that through um, energy protests, or or be that through people in the Uyghur community or people needing refuge. If, if, if our spirituality is not addressing these issues, then it's, it's an incomplete spirituality. And I, I would challenge our denomination. Look at how much time and effort and money we're spending on reorganizing our organization. And let's be honest, it needs reorganized. But feet on the ground, making a difference, reaching out and mission. What more mission-centric 
could be to release people from the bondage of a forced abortion, forced yeah. sterilization, mm-hmm. forced re-education of cultural yes. norms. I, I don't get it. I just no, don't I don't get it. And actually, I would see that I actually think if the church took a stand and was speaking out regularly, then people actually around the country would be more respectful of the church and actually would be like, do you know what? I, that's something that is important to me. Yeah. I believe in that. And, and you know, I would like to be part of something that has the courage to speak out and say something and try to make a difference. I think we're afraid to offend. But here, what's the biggest offence ever? Was it not Calvary? That'd be mm-hmm. offensive. That'd be offensive for the sake of the kingdom. And I, and I don't mean to be rude and obnoxious just for the sake of that. I mean, let's, let's be obnoxious for, for God. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're getting on our high horses again. It's easy done, Linda, easy done. But we want to end by saying we, we thank God for our Queen and her love and service to this country for this country, all in the name of her Lord. And we want to say we'll hold the Uyghur people in prayer and we invite all our folks who are joining in this podcast to to ask each other and ask ourselves, what, what can we do to stand up like Shifra and Pua? What can we do to strengthen the arm of God in our world? So Laura, it's been great being with you today. Take it easy, girl, and we'll see you next month or thereabouts. Yes. Bye-bye then. Yes. So... Take care, everyone, and we will see you all next month. So, bye for now. See you. Bye.